Uh, Next, we're going to do scripture reading. So we'll be turning to Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. All right. Um, Today I'm going to be talking about disruption as we continue our series in the book of Acts. Anything that's worth worthwhile in life uh, will have disruptive nature, right? I think Jeannie and Martine joined us today. They just had a brand new baby. A birth of a child brings disruption in your life. Amen, young parents? A new career, a new relationship, marriage, birth of your, not only your first child, but second child. You have one and then they throw you another one. (laughs) Birth of a third child, it's like you're drowning and they give you another one brings disruption. Anything worthwhile in life brings disruption. But in fact, disruption are very much part of everyone's lives, regardless of who you are. You could be a single person, married person, you could be whoever, a diverse person, and disruptions are just part of our everyday life. Right? And, and, And we know about disruption. We've learned as international community, covid has brought major challenges and changes in the way we have lived our lives last year and a half. Whether that's our plans to travel and visit our family, uh, whether that's our nature of work. Some of us have not been to an office, to our office for years. Our businesses and and just the way we live life. We've been disrupted. Because disruption is very much part of everyday life. The book of Acts, which we've been in for about seven, eight weeks now, is a story full of disruptions, both by the coming of the promised spirit, but those who are against this Jesus movement. And today we're going to land, as it was read by our brother Matthew, in Acts chapter 7, towards the end, and Acts chapter 8, we see a major disruption in the life of this young church. 
right? Church is birth, the coming of the Spirit, and now there is going to be this persecution that comes arise following the death of Stephen. But also how God will use this moment of crisis for the young church to move the gospel forward beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Right? Last week, Pastor John walked us wonderfully through Acts chapter 6. And he talked about the importance of the ministry of the word and service. And today, as it was read, we're going to jump to the end of chapter 7. In fact, this will be the last sermon in the series book of Acts this year. We're going to do four-year study in the book of Acts, but we're going we're gonna to do it in chunks. So every spring, we'll come back to the book of Acts. We're going to finish chapter 8 today. Next year, we're going to pick up from chapter 9. So this is the final sermon of this year. But let me quickly catch us up from what happened from where Pastor John preached to where we are today and at the end of chapter 7. Uh, chapter 6 Right, quick survey is apostles decide to raise up seven godly men. And they, they're called deacons. Those that are going to serve, to support, and do the work of serving the community. Right? Some of the widows, Hellenist widows are complaining. Hey, we're not getting served like the Jewish widows. Right? So apostles, instead of them doing all the work and burning out, they raised up seven godly men to help them with the work of the serving table, serving bread. And one of the seven deacons that were raised up at this time was a man named Stephen, who is at the heart of our passage today. And Luke tells us that Stephen was a, was a man full of grace, humility, wisdom, and power of the Spirit. Right? He, he was a stud in a, in, in a major way in the church. Right? So some of the Jews in the city, right, we, we already know a lot of the religious leaders were really jealous of the movement, of the growth of this movement. So some of the Jews in the city who were non-Christians, were non, who were not part of this Jesus movement, became jealous. So they came against Stephen, and one of these days as he was teaching, and basically twisted his teaching, and said, you are teaching heresy, and put him on public trial in the temple courts. And chapter 7 is a long chapter. It's really Stephen's defense. Stephen stands before the high priest. Just as Peter and John stood before the high priest, it's now Stephen's turn. And instead of defending himself, instead of trying to prolong his life, he begins to preach. It almost feels like he knows this is going to be his last sermon. Right? In fact, he begins to tell them a story, their story, from Abraham to Isaac to Noah to, to just, just the way God has weaved the story, the meta-narrative of their story, the nation Israel. And, 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 and we know, right, stories are powerful tools. All of chapter 7 is a unified story. Right? And all of us, whoever you are, we enter, enter story the time we are born. And never exit story, even in our death. The story that has a man named Jesus at its center and how he radically changed Stephen's life. But again, the story is beyond. It's more, more than just Stephen's story, but stories about Israelites who are at the scene. And Stephen's story that he tells in chapter 7 is a response to the question that was raised by the high priest in verse 1. Are those things so? 
But another question that the high priest and the religious leaders are asking Stephen, another question is there, and that question is what? It's right at the surface. It's easy to see. It's simple. It's, Stephen, who are you? Are you one of us? Or are you on the other side? Are you serving our enemy by their false teaching and false teacher? But again, in his story, all of chapter 7, there is no defense. There is no plea to pardon his life. The only plea that we can read through the story is, 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 is Stephen encouraging people, just as Peter has encouraged these men and women over and over again, to what? To repent and be baptized, to repent and turn to Christ. It's not too late. If you can imagine this scene, it's almost like replay of chapter 3, when Peter and John are standing before the high priest here, the, the Stephen, again, is standing before the most powerful Jewish leader in front of a large Jewish crowd. And, and, and as a masterful storyteller, he begins to connect the dots for the Jewish crowd, right? He, he connects the dots and he lets them know, right? That the heart of his message is that this, this man Jesus, the man they murdered, is the ultimate fulfillment, not just for humanity, for nation Israel. He's the Messiah, the one that was promised throughout their story. From Abraham to Joseph to Moses, these are national heroes. He tells them, God has been pursuing you guys through these stories. God has been pursuing Israel, yet we have continued to rebel and disobey. He says, you are stiff-necked. You just won't listen. And you have continued to ignore and even murder those who were sent by God, God's prophets. And in the end, now you have murdered God's own son. Look, look at verse 51, 53, chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, Stephen just looks at the crowd. He looks at the high priest. He says, you are stiff-necked. You are uncircumcised in heart. You may be circumcised, you Jewish, Jewish men. You may be circumcised but you are not circumcising the heart and ears. And you constantly resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did. And you do that now. Even I'm preaching, you're doing that. What Stephen's saying is different generations, same response. Different generations, same old sin. And Luke tells us in verse 53 of chapter 7, the crowd repented. No, the crowd did not repent. What does it say? Crowd stood enraged. They were burning with fire. So angry that they were grounding their teeth. Can you imagine? People ground, they're so angry and upset, they're grinding their teeth. There is no repentance. There is no remorse. They simply want to get rid of this man who's speaking because why? He's speaking truth. And they cannot handle the truth. And they're feeling guilty about what this man is saying. So verse 54, Luke tells us, Stephen seeing the reaction of the crowd, and perhaps knowing that he's going to soon join the Lord. This may be his last sermon, last ministry that God has called him to. He looks towards the heaven for courage. I mean, imagine being surrounded by a mob of angry Jews. 
ready to murder him. He looks towards heaven for courage. And at that moment, he, Luke tells us, as Stephen looked up, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of that glory. Everyone circle standing or highlight standing in your app. You see, all the passage in the New Testament refers to Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, right? All of the passages. This is the only time in all of the New Testament where Jesus is standing. What does that mean? Why is Jesus standing and not sitting? You see, at that moment of Stephen's death, Jesus is standing as an advocate. He's standing as to remind Stephen, I am with you. As someone who has gone before him, having experienced even greater sense of rejection and pain, by the same crowd, he stands looking at Stephen, reminding him that you are not alone, that I am with you. Friends, in your suffering, in your pain, in your fears and trials, I want us to remember that you are not alone. You know, I've been struggling with this back pain. Like, I literally can't stand. I was, like, laying there before I came to preach. I've been struggling with this for, like, three months. And I, I, I just feel like I'm alone in this pain, right? I mean, Lois, my wonderful wife, has done everything to make me feel better. But I still feel like I'm alone. I'm so lonely. Like, I just want to cry because I just don't know how to get better. But, friends, that's, that's a lie. Because when we look at the story, when we look at... Genesis to Revelation, one of the main ideas that God wants you and I to know is that He is always with us. So whatever you're facing this morning, whatever that is causing you to lose sleep at night, making you anxious, discouraging you, you can always look to Jesus and remember you are not alone and find courage in Him. Amen? Amen? Verse 56, Stephen looks up. Seeing the risen Lord, he gains courage. Seeing the Lord standing for him, he gains courage and tells the angry mob, you know what, Jesus is not dead. He is not hidden away, but he is standing. Guys, can you see he's standing by the Father? This man is, 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 is crazy. Verse 57, the angry crowd had heard enough. Right? At that very moment, they rush him. Drag him out of the city because you cannot son a man legally in the city. And there, everyone picks up their stone. And Stephen is martyred. Verse 59. As Stephen was being stoned to death, he looked at the angry mob. And what did he cry out? Jesus, receive my spirit. And Lord, do not hold this sin against them what a confession of forgiveness it's almost a repeat of what Jesus Stephen is showing us reminding us what Jesus has done on the cross right because these were the same words of Jesus on the cross Jesus as he was hanging on the cross looking at the crowd mocking him spitting at him he says father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing same thing repeat that's end of chapter 7. Now chapter 8, following Stephen's death, persecution against the church, which was brewing under the surface, is now out in the public. It's, for, it's a full force. And, and, and the persecution is intensified. 
The religious leaders in the city have seen enough, right? They want to put an end to this movement. They're sick of these people coming to the temple, doing their thing. These unlearned men gaining a crowd and being able to teach. They're sick of it. They want to end it. And Luke immediately introduces us to a man named Saul, who was a major proponent of persecuting the church. We know Saul. We know how his story ends, but this is a Saul, a young man. In fact, we are told that he was, he was the one who supported and gave the stamp of approval for the death of Stephen. He was the guy who said, yeah, you could kill that man. I'll back you up. I'm a Pharisee. I have the rights. Yet, we talked about disruptions. Saul has no idea how God would disrupt his life. That's chapter 9. To turn his life upside down to be one of the most influential leader of the very movement that he wanted to once destroy. Chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was a Pharisee, a Roman citizen. And that, that gave him immense power and authority. To be a Roman citizen at that time gave you a lot of power. To be a, to be a Pharisee, they gave you a lot of power. And he led all the attacks, all-out attack on Christians in Jerusalem at the time. Verse 3 tells us that Saul was ravaging the church and entering houses after houses. And he dragged men and women and put him in prison. Right? Prison today is rough. Prison, first century Roman prison, is death. You did not go to prison to, to have your rights be met. No, you went to prison to die. So this, you know, when you imagine, right, there was so much growth in the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. And church has become this mega church because everyone was coming and everyone was being convicted. Everyone was giving. And as they were growing, this was a, indeed a moment of horrifying crisis for this young church. Yet when you, when you see the big picture, when you step away and see the big picture, it was the very event that finally moved the gospel beyond the walls of Jerusalem. You see, beginning of the book, beginning of the book of Acts, the risen Jesus, before he went to prepare the place for them, told his disciples that once the promised spirit comes and they are given power and authority, they are to what? Remain in Jerusalem and continue to become a mega church? No. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, they said you are to go out, go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to beyond these regions to preach the word, right? That was the great commission, to go. And it's, only un it's not until the church is attacked and church is going through this, this crisis they're, they're, they're moved, able to go, and the gospel goes beyond the walls of that city. Chapter 8, verse 4, if you're following with me. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The word scattered. You can highlight that word. Okay, in Greek, there are two different words for the idea of scattered. One has the idea of scattering in the sense of making something disappear, right? Like scattering someone's ash. The other word in Greek has the idea of scattering in the sense of planting or sowing seeds. And Luke is very clear about using the idea of scattering that is sense of planting and sowing seeds. 
So what the author of of Book of Acts, Luke is telling us is it's only through this persecution people have moved out of their comfortable places and are going and planting seeds of the gospel. And the gospel begins to spread like a wildfire all around the neighboring regions and beyond. And from chapter 8, we are told about the story of Philip, who was another deacon, and his journey, and, and where he goes, and how many people come to know him in Samaria, Ethiopian eunuch, and all these amazing stories of conversion. Amazing. And we'll, we'll study that for the next three years. Let's get excited about that. But for now, here's a, here's a, a, a principle Biblical principle that does not change. Timeless truth. It's this. There are times God would use pressing circumstances to guide us into his will. Friends, there are times God will use pressing, uncomfortable, hard circumstances in our lives to guide us into his good purpose. Even if that means... We have to be shaken out of our comfort and familiarity, right? The Bible, right? If you, if, you, if you read any of the Bible, Bible is full of stories of men and women who were called out of their homes, called out of their comfort, called out of their familiarity to follow the will of God. The story of Ruth, amazing story. In the beginning of Ruth, she is a Moabite and she has to go live in Bethlehem. Story of Abraham. He was cool, happy, and had that, and says, I'm going to start a nation through you, and you got to go. I mean, story of Noah, story of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David. I mean, everyone in the scripture has been called out of their comfort and to go and follow Jesus, follow God. Many of us came to this country with our own dreams and desires and goals. And to our surprise, God has used your time in this city, in this country, to do something new in your own life. As you have been removed from your homes, your family members, your friends, places of comfort and familiarity, God has shown more of himself. I came to Korea 15, 16 years ago, thinking, I'm going to come to Korea, pay off my debt, Start small businesses, make a lot of money, and, you know, I'll just figure it out. I'll be here for maybe a year or two. I never thought I would go to seminary. I never thought I would be planting a church. I mean, are you kidding me? Yet it wasn't until I had to be removed from my place of comfort and familiarity that God, is, God has done something. I mean, and for all of us, it's uncomfortable. It's hard being in a, in a new place. I mean, it's exciting for first three months. Uh, so if you're first three months, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, it's exciting for about three months. And then living in a foreign country gets really hard and challenging. But again, it is often these seasons where God uses your circumstance to work something new in you. And, and, and some of us came to Christ in, in our season of crisis. Some of us came to Christ in season of pain and suffering. Some of us have experienced most of our growth in seasons of our failure and uncertainty because God has met us there. You see, every crisis, every disruption, every setback we experience in our journey, you can be sure that God will not waste them. Instead, He will use every opportunity to draw you and I to Himself 
and to move us into his good purpose. And that's the story of book of Acts, chapter 7 and 8. But let me be very clear. This doesn't mean God creates chaos and pain and suffering and tragedies in the lives of his people to draw people to himself. It's not like God's like, I'm going to give you storm in your life so that you'll turn to me. No, that sounds evil, right? That sounds terrible. That would make him unloving, unjust, and, and, and simply evil. You see, pain, suffering, betrayal, sickness is a part of life that has been deeply tainted by what the scripture calls sin. The event of Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve said, we're going to choose life for ourselves and make decisions for ourselves, we won't be equal to God at that moment because of sin. Creation has been tainted by sin. And there's brokenness. There's pain. There's disagreement. So God is not creator of chaos. God is not a creator of, of suffering and pain. But, but again, he will use all things for his good purpose and his good purpose in us. So like Stephen and other followers of Jesus in our passage, you may be challenged to look beyond your places of comfort. I mean, one challenge that Book of, eight, book, book of Acts 8 gives us is that for us to look beyond our places of comfort, right? For the early Christians, it was staying in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place of comfort. It's the place of their home, language, birth, place where church has started. But for some of us, I mean, because we're not Jews in this setting, our place of comfort may be our current career, current position at work, our relationship status, it can be living in this city. This city could be your place of comfort. Maybe God is calling you out to a different place, different city, different job. And you may feel overwhelmed by that idea. You may feel lost and afraid and even angry about your current situation. Yet again, I want to remind you that although you may feel lost, because I feel totally lost in my back and I don't know what to do. I met six doctors you may feel discouraged, afraid, or even angry. Remember, the story of the scripture is that God is with you. His spirit is in you. And he is not lost. Friends, God is not lost. God is not afraid. And he will continue to carry you through whatever you are facing today. Amen? It's like, 10%. I want at least 50%. God is not lost. God is not confused. God does not make mistakes. Amen? Amen? So your current crisis of life, whatever that is, I don't know what that is. You know what that is. Remember, there's an opportunity for God to move you forward to grow you, to draw you, to reveal himself to you. And often it's these, through these moments of disruption and challenge, challenging seasons that God does his best work in us and for us and through us. So we think it's, it's seasons of success, seasons of amazing fruit that God does his best work. Friends, I'm telling you, it's 
the seasons of suffering, seasons of pain, seasons of disruption where God does his best work in you and through you. So two examples as I close. Uh, one, uh, in two weeks, or next week is our last Sunday in this place, and in two weeks we're going to be in our new location in Chamsha. I've told you this story again, so I'll keep it very short. When we found out that we had to move out of this mall, I was like, Lord, I don't want to move. I love this place. I mean, our name is King's Cross, Wangshimi. How can we move out of Wangshimi? I was kicking and screaming. <laughs> right? I was scared. Right? I was like, I, we don't know anything besides this mall. Yet, through that chaos, God provided a wonderful place for us in a new part of the city. Now, the question is, did God cause this mall to close? Did God cause COVID? No. Brokenness, mismanagement, lots of mismanagement in this mall, right? Like things that they did, right? There are many reasons why this mall is shutting down. Yet God is using this moment of crisis for you and I, for our community to move us forward, to take us beyond the walls of this mall into a new neighborhood so that our presence in that place can bring more people to Christ and teach us to trust Him even more. Second, I mean, second, I've already talked about it so many times because I'm in pain, but I have been in terrible pain. Guys, you guys gotta pray for me. For the last three months, um, I've been in this like terrible leg pain. And, and I, found, I took an MRI because it wasn't, it wasn't getting better. And I found out I have a ruptured disc and I have another disc that is not very, in very good shape above the ruptured disc. I have two very bad discs. Um, I've seen six doctors in a month and a half. I'll see my seventh one tomorrow. Um, I received a, a minor surgical procedure about two weeks ago. I felt better for about a week, and then it just went downhill from there. It's been super frustrating, discouraging. Um, yet recently, you know, I, 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 I'm literally all week, I was sitting, I was laying on my couch all week. Like friends came by, church people came by, but I was literally laying on a couch, Lois and the girls uh, went, went away because I couldn't rest with all the girls, went away to mother's, mother-in-law's house. And, 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 and I had this wonderful realization as I was kicking and screaming and yelling at God, like, God, how can you do this? We're moving next week. I can't be on my back. And, and God simply says, Hungmin, don't blame me, bro. You didn't take care of your body. You didn't, you didn't eat right. You haven't slept right. You have an unhealthy relationship with work. And I felt as God was gently rebuking me and, and saying, you got to take care of your body. You got to rest. You got to stop trusting yourself. And you think just because you work hard or you do these things, you're going to be able to move the church. No. Church is going to move regardless whether you're going to be off your back. And I felt like God was gently, like, that's my angry, gentle review. I think God was much more gentle saying, he's telling me, it's an opportunity for you to be able to rest. And trust that I'm moving. Trust that King's Cross is not on your back. It's on my back. And I got it. And, and I realized, wow, that's, that, that's true. And, and, and our, our, our team has done a wonderful job in my absence to be able to do that. So, but pray for me, guys. My, my doctor's appointment tomorrow. Pray for me. Um, Friends, as Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing for him, 
I pray that we can also look up in our season of crisis and disruption. Even in the most painful, frustrating season of life, we can learn to look up. The narrative we hear in, this, in the world is often this. Like the narrative that we hear in the world is this. The truth is inside of us, right? The courage, the fight, the strength. When we watch the Pixar movies, the Hollywood, and the, the songs that we hear, they all tell you the truth is not outside of us. Truth is inside of us. Perfect example, Kung Fu Panda. Anyone love Kung Fu Panda? I love Kung Fu Panda. So there, the, Kung Fu Panda, I think it's one. And Poe is this giant panda. Very cute, but very scary. He's amazing dragon warrior. And, and they're told that the true dragon warrior will have access to this squirrel. There's this, there's this dragon squirrel that was in the temple and only the true dragon warrior is able to access it. And, and if you access that, 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 that document, you'll be able to actually unlock this limitless power. So Paul is trying all his best to, to get that documentation and get that score. And he gets that dragon squirrel and he opens it up. And guess what it says in the dragon squirrel? If you know the movie, I'll spoil it because it's been 10 years. You might not better watch it. It, there's nothing on the score. It's just reflection of Poe. And really, the, the narrative that story is telling you is truth is not outside of you. Truth is inside. Your strength is inside of you. Courage is inside of you. And so many movies and stories tell you truth is inside of yourself. Don't let anyone else tell you how you live your life. Just look deep within. Well, friends, that is... That is anti-gospel. That couldn't be more different from what Christ has shown us. And that is far from better solution. Can you imagine looking at yourself with all your problems and crisis and saying, I got to find answer. I got to figure out how to get better. I got to figure out how to be a better person. No, there's a lot of brokenness and and sickness and, and weird things that are going on inside of our heart. What we need is not look within, it is to look above to the one who can give us courage, to the one who could give us power. This is the gospel story. The gospel tells us the truth is not within. The courage that we need is not within us. The strength that we need only comes when we look up. Jesus, the Son of God, saw our fears, our failures, and our sins. And he came to give us life. This is the gospel, friends. Creator God entered his creation voluntarily out of love for us. He took on all human suffering, pain, rejection, and lived the life that we could not live and died the death in our place and for us. Now, he is with the Father, standing, sitting by the Father. He is praying for us. He is standing for us. He is cheering you and I on. So no matter what you may be going through at this moment, trust that he's got you. He's got your family. He's got your friend. He's got those that you love. And he's not going to let you go. And that's really the message of Acts chapter 8. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are looking up this morning because truth is when we look within us, God, there is no solution. So Lord, we come 
to this place, not because we want to sing some nice songs and meet friends and, 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 and socialize. We come because, Lord, we recognize that we are, we are in desperate need of, of, of you, God. So, Lord, this morning, as a community, we come before you and say, Lord, would you open our eyes once again? Would you help us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus? And as we do that, Lord, would you continue? Would you continue to strengthen us? Would you continue to give us courage? Lord, I pray if anyone is sick in this place, if anyone is discouraged, if anyone is lost and anxious about whatever is going on in their life, that you would speak to them that you would touch them this morning, that you would bless them. If they're watching on YouTube, that you would speak to them in a special way that they could hear you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Just let me pray. Amen.